Jesus' teaching is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. He tackles tough issues head on. Here's what Jesus says about what to do with people who are, or seem to be, our enemies. You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, here we are, four and a half months. We've been working on the Sermon on the Mount, and today we're going to be concluding chapter five. And there are two more chapters in the Sermon on the Mount that we need to go through. And I don't think the next two chapters are going to take us four and a half months. But uh, as we end this, this chapter... I want to point out something that's very curious. It ends with a very, very shocking verse. And here's what it says. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. When you read something like that, the question is this. Who on earth could live like this? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, how many times have you heard me say that no one is perfect? Uh, No one. And the, the scripture declares no one's perfect except Christ. The very first book I ever purchased, the very first theological book that is, I bought, uh, I bought it when I was 20 years old. I just, I wasn't even finished Bible school yet. And it was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' book called The Sermon on the Mount. It was one of those revolutionary books, and it truly revolutionized my life. But here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, I would rather make bricks without straw than try to live the Sermon on the Mount in my own strength. Excellent words. And the question is, why would he say such a thing? I mean, aren't we supposed to somehow live the Sermon on the Mount, and we have these vague ideas that, no, it's not supposed to be on our own strength, and yet, how most of us live is is this Christian life in our own strength. This is how so many of us approach Christianity. But Martin Lloyd-Jones makes it very clear that it's impossible to live the Sermon on the Mount in our own strength. Now, if you don't know yet what Martin Lloyd-Jones means when he says this, uh, perhaps you'll understand it more today. As we go through the Sermon on the Mount, there's a few things that quickly become clear to us. And first of all, 
we, we recognize that Jesus is trying to correct some of the misinterpretations of the law and the Old Testament. Rabbis, Jesus is pointing out, were figuring out ways to get around the law. They were looking for loopholes. And Jesus is trying to tell us, trying to make it clear to us, that the standards of God are very high. In fact, they are perfect. These these holy, high standards of God obviously cannot be reached in our own strength or in our own wisdom. So, the few things that we quickly discover is that we don't have the ability to live according to these standards. And secondly, we quickly recognize that we need help. We need a savior. We need someone to save us and help us through this. If anything, the Sermon on the Mount really serves as a mirror to show us what we're truly like. And uh, in some cases, we may be good at doing some of the things on the Sermon on the Mount, but for so many things that Jesus teaches, it shows us just how, how short we fall of God's high and holy standard. Now, we would be tempted to despair. We'd be tempted to give up, except that Jesus offers himself as, as a sacrifice. And anybody who puts their faith in Christ, you receive Christ's righteousness. Now, it's really important that you understand that. You cannot be good on your own. You cannot generate enough righteousness to please the Father. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus is able to produce a righteousness that pleases the Father. And for this reason, Jesus came to this earth. So what we need to understand then is that our, our righteousness in the sight of God is not in our ability to keep the Sermon on the, law, uh, uh, sermon on the Mount. Rather, our righteousness is in our willingness to put our faith in Jesus who keeps the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. Very important that you understand this. And that's why I concluded last week's message with these simple words. We do not boast or glory in the teachings of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. Rather, we glory and boast in the cross because it was through the cross that you and I have eternal life. It's through the cross that we are able to receive Christ's righteousness. And how do we receive it? By faith. We put our faith in Jesus. We simply believe him and say, Jesus, I need your righteousness. I want to do it your way. Now, you're going to see today that if ever there was a time that we needed God's help, uh, it's especially in the teaching that you're going to hear today and, and also from last week. We need the supernatural help of God. And folks, it's for that reason that Jesus didn't just give us his teaching. He gave us his Holy Spirit who dwells in us and who enables us to live the way that Christ calls us to live. Last week, we learned that Christians don't return evil for evil. We turn the other cheek. We let things go. We don't allow things to escalate. We are not the source of the escalation, if you want to put it like that. We just drop the issue. We don't retaliate. We don't get even. That's the standard of every Christian. And so Jesus wants us to be clear about what it means to be a child of God. And then today, 
we learn that God expects us to love our enemies. So let's read that passage of scripture, and I hope that you've got your Bibles. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. And here's what Jesus says. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you were kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, let's take a look at the faulty logic of the teachers in Jesus' day. The rabbis and the teachers were trying to find loopholes. They're trying to find ways to to mitigate the guilt that they felt because of their failure to meet the law. So let's just take a, a look at what Jesus says here, Matthew 5:43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This comes from Leviticus 19, verse 18. This is obviously what Jesus is alluding to. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Of course, in saying, I am the Lord, that is the final word, that's the authority God has spoken, and therefore we will do what God says. So, in Jesus' day, there was a great discussion about who is your neighbor, if you can believe it. That was a big, hot topic. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that we should hate our enemies. It does say, however, that we should love our neighbor. So the question for the rabbis and for those who were interpreting the law at that time is who, in fact, is my neighbor? Some Jews took the word neighbor to be exclusive. It only referred to the sons of of Israel, the Israelites. And so in saying that you should love the children of Israel, they thought, therefore, we are to hate our enemies. But there is no therefore there. They had twisted this in order to justify their hatred of the Gentiles, of the tax collectors, of anybody who they felt was a sinner and unworthy of love. This was actually taught in, in some, some circles. The Essenes it was a monastic community which lived by the Dead Sea. They had a common dictate, and the dictate was this, love the brothers, hate the outsider. That was literally what they believed. So in Jesus' day, they've got this question, well, who is my neighbor? Because that's the one I gotta love. And, uh, and so Jesus, to help the Israelites understand, to help the Jewish people understand what, what a neighbor is, he points to the, to the Good Samaritan. He tells the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and some of you know it. The Samaritan is not considered a Jew. In fact, 
The Samaritan, because he's not Jewish, was in fact hated by the Jewish people. And I think probably the Samaritans returned the favor. They hated the Jewish people. And the Samaritan people were really a, a, a type of half-breed. They're half-Jewish and half-who-knows-what. So Jesus says, who's your neighbor? Well, very simply, it's anyone who's in a position to receive your help. That's who a neighbor is. If somebody's in need and you can help them, well, you are their neighbor and they are your neighbor. That was Jesus' definition. And if you want to go ahead and read about that, you can read about it in Luke chapter 10. So here it is, the story of the Good Samaritan. A Samaritan would never talk to a Jewish person and vice versa. Vice versa. A, a Jewish person would never talk to a Samaritan. But here's the Samaritan. He sees this Jewish man who's been badly beat up. He's been robbed and he's been bypassed by his own, by his own people. Not loved by his own people, even though the Bible clearly says that you should love your own neighbor. The Samaritan not worrying about, about, about breaking any sort of laws of, of cleanliness. He goes ahead and takes care of that Jewish man who has been badly beat up, even paying his bill. Jesus says, if you want to know who your neighbor is, it's that person who's in need that you are able to help. Regardless of where that person comes from, regardless of their race or their color, regardless of their creed, regardless of of their religious background, you're in a position to help them, so just help them, love them. Now, Jesus says that you, uh, you and I maybe are tempted to hate our enemy. We're tempted to hate those who are unkind to us, and we we look for these loopholes. We, we try to find a way to, to get around the law of God. We try to get around the teachings of Christ. But in fact, there is no way to get around this. This is the high, very high standard of love. We could call it a divine standard. But it's a standard that you and I are called to. Well, we'll talk about more of that in just a moment, what it means to, to live according to this to this standard, and, and I remind you of the verse that we started with. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is what Jesus expects of us. But before we can fulfill this law, we need to understand it. We need to understand these teachings of Christ. So Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is a hard thing to do. Uh, I would say that it is an impossible thing to do. There's not one of us who in our own strength or ability could actually live this way. I mean, you might be able to, to do it once in a while, but now we're talking, remember, not just about outward actions, but we're talking about the heart. And this is something that Jesus points out earlier in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. He says it's, it's not enough not to, uh, to just not kill people. You cannot even hate them. You cannot even call them a fool. Or Jesus says you've murdered them and you're, you're, uh, you're liable to end up in hellfire. It's very strongly worded. 
And those of you who think that you know, you've never committed adultery and therefore you're perfect, Jesus says, well, he reminds us that if you even look at somebody with lust in your heart, well, you've already committed adultery. You've committed adultery with them in your heart. Remember, the thing about Christianity is that it's not just about outside, what's, what goes on on the outside. It's not just about external uh, law-keeping, but it's about internal law-keeping. So we recognize then it's not just about fulfilling laws, it's about keeping the spirit of the law. It's an internal job. It's something that happens inside of us, and it happens in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus speaks to us earlier on about our enemies, and we see it earlier in the chapter, and you can look at that, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. He says that we are blessed. And again, there's no way that you can embrace this teaching unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and helps you understand that. But Jesus says we're blessed if we're persecuted for being righteous for his sake. That's interesting, isn't it? But now he's saying, not only should you consider yourself blessed for being persecuted, and remember, the prophets were, were persecuted because of their righteousness, because of their willingness to obey God and do God's will. But now, Jesus is saying, you've got to take it a step further. Just don't, don't, feel, don't just feel blessed, but now, he says, we must love and pray for these people who are persecuting us, these people who are our enemies. In fact, Jesus is saying, don't see them as your enemies. You may see them as persecutors, but don't see them as enemies. See them as people who are in need. See them as people who need to be loved. See them as people that need to receive the gospel. You can quickly see how radical this teaching is. You can see how, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, that it is absolutely impossible unless you have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to live this way. So to love our enemies and to pray for them is an important part of being a child of the Heavenly Father. Why? Because God is our Father and our example, and he loves his enemies. Did you get that? If you and I are going to be true children of God, then Jesus tells us that we need to imitate our Father in heaven. This is what he says. In that way, verse 45, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. There it is. God being gracious and kind and loving toward people that don't love him, people that hate him. In the mid-1967, mid there was a convergence, uh, a convergence of over 100,000 hippies. We went to San Francisco, and uh, they had what they called the Summer of Love. And during this time, John Lennon and the Beatles produced the hit song, All You Need Is Love. All you, and, and as I'm saying that, everybody at home knows it, young and old, and you could probably sing the refrain, no problem. All you need is love, love. All you really need is love. Well, the problem with this song and with this way of thinking is that 
No one really knows what real love is. And history proves that humans don't have the ability to love. I would challenge you, if you want, from the, from the pen of John Lennon and, and Paul McCartney, come the songs, All You Need Is Love and Give Peace a Chance. If you read about these two men, John and Paul, not the apostles, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, here's what you discover. These guys hated each other. They were not friends in the end. They were constantly at each other's throats. There was jealousy, and Paul, they said, was, uh, was very bossy and condescending, and, and, and the accusations fly like crazy. But it's interesting, isn't it, that we hold up these two songs uh, almost, uh, almost religiously as, as rallying calls to true righteousness. And the problem is, folks, History proves it over and over again. You and I do not have the ability to love as Jesus calls us to love. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We need the help of God. And so God, Jesus is telling us here in verse 45 that we need to imitate the Father. So let's take a look again at these words, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. You see here that when it comes to a loving God, he does not, he's not petty in any way. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's not showing any favoritism. He's not, he's not keeping score. There's no revenge here. Jesus says, look how much God loves those who hate him. He sends them rain. He takes care of them. He lets the sun rise on, on the evil and the good. Now Jesus says, this is the standard that you and I are to keep. If God can love his enemies, then we also must love our enemies. And I'm going to tell you, anybody who puts their faith in Christ will instantly become an enemy of the world. The world will hate you. Jesus promises us that. That's, uh, that's not a maybe, that's a promise. You will be persecuted because of your love for Christ. And Jesus says, uh, even after you have put your faith in Christ, still you must love those who persecute you. And not only love them, but you must pray for them. So God's love the greatness of God's love is seen in his love for all people, the people who are his people and the people who hate him. It's a very, very powerful statement. And I'm praying right now that the Holy Spirit will grip your heart and show you the kind of love that you need to have for those people in your life who have treated you poorly because of your faith or who have just treated you poorly just just because they don't like you. They probably don't know why they don't like you, but they probably don't like you because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are to imitate God. Now, how much does God love us? Well, John 3, 16, a verse that we all know, we all learned in our childhood, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have eternal life. Look at that. That's how much God loves us. A people who hate him, people, as Paul says, are born enemies of God. These are the ones, these enemies of God, these are the ones that, that he sent his own son to die for. 
Now you're quickly beginning to understand here, aren't you? The high, high standard of Christ. And it's critical that you and I understand this. In Romans 5.10, Paul says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. That's right. You and I, before Adam and Eve fell, we were friends of God. But when sin entered in, folks, we became his enemies. And God in his love restored us. We who were his enemies, he restored us, and he brought us eternal life. Now this, my friends, is how you and I are called to love everybody in our life, and especially those who hate us, especially those who would be considered enemies. Now if we are his sons, the Bible's clear, we will have the character of Christ. I want to point out to you a poignant moment in Christ's life just before he died. They, they spiked his hands and his feet to a cross. They crucified him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. He suffered a violent, violent death. Yet even in that moment, he loved those who persecuted him. They loved those who were putting him to death. And from the cross, he spoke those famous words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This is the high standard of God's love, the high standard that God is calling each of us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus wants us to understand that as Christians, we're not like the world. We're different than the world. We're different than those who don't know Christ. We're not the same as pagans or Gentiles, if you want to call them that. We're not like those sinners, the tax collectors. And so for this reason, Jesus points it out to us. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do that? or do the same. The Gentiles, of course, are, are the pagans. They're the ones that don't know God. Israel, the Jewish people are God's chosen people. They're his people. The Gentiles, according to, to the Jews, were, were the scum of the earth. They, uh, they were pagans. And, and the tax collector, my, they were especially hated. They were double traitors. First of all, or doubly hated, I should say. First of all, they are, are stealing from their own people because that's what tax collectors did. They, they, they collected the tax on behalf of Rome and then the Romans said, take whatever you want. And so they would, as long as you give us what we want, you can do whatever you want. So here are these Jewish tax collectors collecting a tax for Rome and then on top of that, stealing even more for themselves. These tax collectors were, were collaborators with the occupying power. It was absolutely shocking. So Jesus is saying, you're no different than these tax collectors if you love those who love you. Jesus, what's, where's the reward in that? What's, what's, what's the difference? There's nothing. You're exactly the same. You're not, you're not standing out. You're not different. 
Jesus wants us to understand that as Christians, we're not like the world. We're very different in how we carry ourselves, how we comport ourselves. We stand out as different. Tax collectors and Gentiles prove that anyone can be kind and loving towards nice people. But what happens when the people that you're coming in contact with, the people who are confronting you are not nice? I mean, it's easy to love people who are loving you, isn't it? It's easy to smile and greet people who smile and greet you. No, we stand, we have a different standard. But sadly, we don't, we just do not seem to understand this. We think that we can carry ourselves and function the way that the world does. So, even even tax collectors and Gentiles can be loving and and can be kind and greet others as long as those people are kind. So, let's go back to the Beatles for one second. Even the Beatles, they, they, they liked the tax collectors and the Gentiles, even they had an understanding, some kind of a basic understanding of what love is all about. But for all their money and all their popularity and fame and their very high ideals, they were utterly un, incapable, unable to live out the standard of love. The song, All You Need Is Love, comes out in mid-1967. And by by 1969, just two years later, it's recorded that John Lennon wanted a divorce from the band. He didn't want anything to do with these people anymore. The hatred and the resentment was rife. Ah, How do we live by these high ideals? Well, you're not going to do it on your own. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's not possible. You need the power, the strength, and the help of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is precisely why you and I need to be born again. This is why we need to be converted. We cannot live by the high standard that Jesus calls us to unless we've surrendered our life to Christ. And so here we are back at that verse that we started with. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus tells us what the standard of love is. You are to be kind, you are to be generous, you are to be loving toward all people, and especially towards people who are persecuting you towards people who consider themselves your enemy. You are to love them. You are to be kind. So here it is, this high standard of love. Not just being loving and kind to people who are loving and kind to you, not just greeting people who are greeting you. Jesus says the standard must not be the standard of this world. The standard of heaven, the standard of the kingdom of God, And remember, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. The Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom of God. He's telling us how it is that we must live as Christians. And Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, who hasn't thought, I can't live like this, I'm not God. 
Well, the Lord doesn't let us off the hook here. In spite of the, the extremeness of this teaching, Jesus is not letting us off the hook. If God himself says in Leviticus 19, verse 2, he says that you must be holy because he is holy. We must be holy as he is holy. And John, 1 John 4, 7 reminds us that we need to be loving as God is loving. And now Jesus is saying here, be perfect as God is perfect. How can we live like this? Well, let me just close with a story about one of my absolute heroes. My, I think probably one of my top three favorite Christians who've ever lived. And her name is Corrie Tamboom. And she tells a story of giving her testimony in Germany after the war. Corrie Tamboom and her whole family were hiding Jewish people in their home. They had actually had a little special hidden room built so that they could hide Jewish people in their home. But somebody ratted them out, and wouldn't you know it, but her father went to jail, went to, went to a, a concentration camp. He died, and Corey and her sister Betsy were also in prison in, in, in Ravensbrück. And while she was speaking, and she'd come to the end of her, her, her testimony, at the end of the service, one of the guards who was there uh, who, were, who was guarding and, and, and being very cruel to her and Betsy, was actually in that service. And after she was done speaking, he came up to, to Corey as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing, and he said, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, to think that, as you say, Jesus has washed my sins away. Wow. Corey Tamboom says that he put out his hand to shake her hand. And she says, uh, she said, I, I, had, I had no ability to raise my hand to shake his hand. She said, rather, what happened is I stood there looking at this man, and suddenly a flood of anger and bitterness and, and hatred filled her heart as she remembered how this guard, along with the other guards, watched on as Corey and Betsy and the other women had to strip down to their bare skin. And these men mocked them and laughed at them and heaped all kinds of scorn upon them. Corey said in that moment, while his hand is stretched out to hers, she said, I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. God, please give your forgiveness. As I, as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass, like a current of electricity. It passed from me to him. Well, into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Folks, this is the power of Almighty God to help you live the perfect life. But it happens, this perfection comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and through a willingness for you and I to obey Christ. In that moment that Corey Tembu took the, the hand of that soldier who persecuted and who was indirectly responsible for the death of Corey's sister, in that moment, Corey Tamboom knew a perfection, the perfection of God that came only from heaven. I know that some of you today have gone through some horrible persecution, some horrible suffering, people in your life who have hurt you dreadfully, perhaps a spouse, perhaps a child, hurt you dreadfully, humiliated you, has said terrible things about you, has hurt you deeply, has broken vows to you. People who have made you suffer because of your faith in your workplace. And you feel a real hatred and anger in your heart. And rightly so. The way you feel is not, not abnormal. It certainly is human. But now Jesus Christ calls you to let that go. Now Jesus Christ calls you to love with a love that comes from heaven. Be perfect, Jesus says, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do what, the, what Corey did. That person who has hurt you needs you to reach out your hand in love. And I'm going to tell you in that moment of obedience that you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to be perfect as you are perfect, you will know a supernatural enabling, a supernatural empowering that comes from heaven. It'll flow right through you to that person that needs your love. Heavenly Father, we thank you now for your word. We thank you, Father, for teaching us this difficult thing. We quickly recognize, Lord, in our own strength, we don't have the ability to live as Christ has called us to live. We love the ideal of loving everybody and giving peace a chance, but we recognize at the end of the day, we are warmongers, all of us. We are haters. We do not want to give up our grudge. We want to hold on to it and we want to nurse it. We recognize, Lord, that by nature, we are a people who would rather get even and pour out vengeance rather than pouring out love. Father, by your spirit now, would you grip our hearts and enable us by your spirit to live us, live, uh, to help us live as we are called to live. And we thank you, Lord, for your power and for your strength. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining with us today for this live stream event. And uh, we'll see you again at 11.15 and then again uh, next Sunday at 9.30. God bless you.